You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. I've had the privilege for several years to teach at North Point Introduction to World Missions. My class is really different than any other class provided by the college. Nearly every other class targets your mind. They absolutely focus their attention in making sure you have the proper information that you can filter it through your mind, work it down into your heart, and let it begin to influence you. My class, Rachel will tell you, I target your heart. If God has your heart, he has your mind. So today it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will touch our hearts. You know, I, I know the children are in this room today, and it's, it's a little challenging because of the lights, but I can see little heads uh, several feet below the seats, so I assume they're children or people sleeping already. I'm not sure what that is. So if you have a, if you have a paper and pencil, I would encourage you to get it out. Please do not record what I'm saying. It's not that important. But if I say something that the Spirit prompts you to record a word, a thought, or a phrase. We call that at our church the whisper of God. That's what you record. And it's meant to be reviewed in the privacy of your prayer closet. Uh, Lord, when he said this word, when he said this phrase, when he said this sentence, well, what were you speaking to me about? So grab your piece of paper and your pencil. Let's get started. Luke chapter 10, verse 2. He told them the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers unto his harvest field. This is a perplexing scripture in the sense that we believe God is sovereign. Because God is sovereign, he can do as he pleases. But in this scripture, there is the restriction that God places on himself. Now think of it. If he's sovereign and it's his harvest, and it's his workers, then why doesn't he simply send them in? Why does he ask us to pray that he sends them in? Bellheimer says that in the plan of human redemption, God will do nothing outside of prayer. That the 21-day fast that you're entering into will be a time when you reconcile with God and God with you with this thought, that it's the will of the Father that none should perish. And at this place, at this time, in this season of this church, you are going to see people brought into the kingdom because you have partnered with God on this subject to send workers into the field. The hundred plus missionaries that you support, you are partnering with God to send workers into the field. Because in the plan of human redemption, God does nothing outside of prayer. If we're going to be friends for the rest of this service, I think it's important that I be transparent with you. I am, and I do suffer, from dyslexia. Numbers are not my friend. The first two years we were married, when I would reconcile the checkbooks, we would either be extremely wealthy or in the hole. <laughs> I have not written a check in the last 38 years. Can't do it. Numbers are not my friend. And there's a couple numbers I really suffer with. 
I suffer trying to grasp 7.6 billion people, the population of 195 countries in the world. I struggle with that number of 7.6 billion people. I, I struggle that in the last 40 years, one billion people have died without ever hearing the name of Jesus. Uh, one billion people have closed their eyes to death without ever grasping one scripture in their own language. I struggle with the number 30 million. That 30 million people will die this year who've never heard the name of Jesus, never had a witness, never experienced the light, never held the scripture in their hand from their own language. Those are numbers that I struggle with. And I struggled with them because five times before the ascension, Jesus gave what we call the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, making disciples of all nations. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And as he ascends, he's given this command to not only the 11, but the 120. As he ascends, I want you to look back to the small group in the upper room, especially the 11. And you have to ask yourself, how could Jesus feel confident to, to give them the baton of the responsibility of furthering his mission? Look who they are. They have failed more than they had succeeded. They were spiritually slow to hear. They had little comprehension of who he was and what he had been called to do. Even though they heard his mission given to them, not once, not twice, but five times, they didn't really allow it to be branded in their heart yet. And as Jesus is ascending, you're saying, what does Jesus see in these people that I couldn't see? Well, maybe Jesus looked at them and said, you know what? They're preachers. Oh, they're good preachers. They just don't have pulpits. No. They're theologians. Given the proper classroom setting, they'll be able to describe eschatology and soteriology and pneumatology with great ease. No. In Acts, when Peter and John are arrested and they're taken before the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin listens to them and quizzes them and talks to them. Their finding is this. These two men are ignorant and unlearned. What did Jesus see in them that as he ascended, he had confidence that they would fulfill the Great Commission? He saw two things. He saw, pardon the expression, an ignorant, unlearned people who were committed to be obedient to his commands. And secondly, he saw the power of the Holy Ghost touching the lives of ignorant, unlearned people. <laughs> and they turned their world upside down. Think of this. By the year 258 D, Francis Lauderette, the great church historian, says in the city of Rome there were 33,000 Christians. The Roman Empire, from 120 ignorant, unlearned people, the Roman Empire by 258 AD had 10% of its population, or 5 million people, who were saved. And the vast majority of them were tongue-talking, devil-chasing, Bible-believing Pentecostals. How could that happen? Because people who didn't have great talent and people who didn't have great ability made a commitment to be obedient to him and allow the Holy Ghost to come on his life, their lives to change their world. Listen, what the church needs today is not new machinery. 
Oh, it's not that we need new electronics, we don't need new songs, we don't need new musical instruments. What we need today is the power and the fresh power of the Holy Ghost to settle on obedient lives in the kingdom of God. But when you look around today, there are a few people close to my age. And it can be a little discouraging when you're my age. Because I have grandkids, I have ten. And I realized my grandkids are never going to grow up in my world. Oh, my world was so safe compared to theirs. My world was so fit within community compared to theirs. Our focus was different. Our priorities were different. In some ways, our values were different. It seems as though the world is getting darker. Poverty seems to raise its ugly head around the globe. Pornography is one click away from a smartphone at any device. They tell us that three out of ten adults in North America are addicted to pornography. We have a madman running the ship in North Korea. We have the Soviet Union flexing its muscle. We have China becoming a world power. And it seems that our world is changing and our world is getting darker. And it seems that darkness is overcoming light, but I want you to hear me. That is not the case at all. Light always pushes darkness away. <laughs> Nobody comes into a room and says, put on the darkness. Everybody comes in and says, put on the light. I'm not, I'm not simply suggesting that our world's not changing. I'm not suggesting it's not dark, but I am suggesting this. The power of his light is about ready to penetrate the world like it's never seen it before. L let me show you. Several years ago, I was pastoring in Grand Blanc, and we had as our speaker Bill Wilson. Bill uh, works with children in New York City, and Bill ministers on a Saturday, Sunday to about 20 to 24,000 children and family, uh, adults, every weekend. He has a lot of buses. They go to the projects. They pick people up. They bring them in. They hold service. They take them back. They pick up new people. And at Christmas, Bill makes it probably his rounds in September and October to churches. He's been to David Jeremiah's church. He's been to Charles Stanley's church. He was at our church. He'll come to your church if you let him. And he's trying to raise money specifically so that every one of his children on the ministry bus program will receive at least one gift for Christmas. And we did our part, and Bill was grateful. And Bill was driving the bus the second week of December, when from the projects come one of his students, a nine-year-old girl, she had something wrapped in newspaper and tape, more tape than newspaper, brought it to the bus and said, Pastor Bill, I have a Christmas gift for you. He said, oh, thank you. No, she said, open it now. Oh, he tried to open it. There's so much tape. He finally got through it. It was a globe, a, a, a globe with Jesus and Mary and Joseph in the bottom. The globe had been cracked and there was no liquid in it. And he looked at it and said, this is, this is the most beautiful gift I've ever received. And she smiled and said, no, 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 put your hands around it. So he cupped it with his hands, and when he did, he noticed Jesus glowed. And then she said this, the darker it is, the more he glows. Here's the good news of the gospel. The world is getting darker. And the really good news is, the darker it is, the more he glows. I believe in this city, in this state, in this country, 
and to the 2.3 billion people that have never heard the gospel, that the light of the gospel is about ready to penetrate the hearts of these people. You see, Christianity is not losing ground, it's gaining ground. Worldwide, Christianity is not dying, it's shifting. Since Amber brought this up, let me take you there. Or Pastor Ben mentioned it too, in Africa. In 1900, there were 8.7 million Christians in Africa in 1900. In the year 2000, there's 300 million. By the year 2025, it is believed there will be 660 million Africans who are born-again Christians. I'll take you to China. Last night, you put me up in a wonderful hotel. Thank you. I went to bed a little bit late, troubled by the football game that had happened earlier that day, but that's, that's another prayer request. We can work with the counselor later. I finally fell asleep. I woke up early this morning, maybe 5 o'clock. And I realized for those hours that I had been sleeping, God had done something amazing in China. Every night, because it's daytime there, every night that I sleep on average, over 20,000 Chinese are being saved every night. Because the light is penetrating the darkness. Let me take you to Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia in 1910, there were only 50 Christians in the whole country. Today in Saudi Arabia, there's 1.8 million Christians. Why? Because God is penetrating the darkness. And every nation, from every tribe, from every people, the Spirit of God is beginning to reveal who He is to these people. And we're beginning to see what I believe will be the greatest revival in the history of man. And I want to be part of it. Because remember, the darker it is, the more he glows. I've given some big numbers, and if you're like me, you're overwhelmed with those numbers. 7.3, 2.6 billion. And sometimes it's important for us to slow down and remember, though, God looks at the whole world. He also looks at the individuals that make up the whole. It's quite interesting. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus talks about one sheep among the hundred talks about one coin among the ten, and talks about one son among two. God loves the one. And the purpose of your faith promises is not simply to reach nations. It's to reach the ones that make up nations. I saw the power of that in a unique way. I became director of Asia's Little Ones. I worked out of Springfield. I traveled for 39 weeks away from my wife for two years straight. That was not the right thing to do, but I was driven to help raise support for holistic ministry for children. One of the places that we were raising money for was China, Kunming. When I first went into China, the military ran all of the airports. They had no x-ray machine. They opened up your your luggage, they went through it, the military did, looking for anything, they closed it. No one, no one, no one spoke English. All Mandarin. It was difficult to maneuver and even get on the right train or get on the right plane. I made it to Quinming. The Assemblies of God had agreed with the Chinese government that we would partner with them in an orphanage in Quinming, China. <laughs> You'd love Quinming. Kunming is a large city, and our relationship with the Chinese government was here. 
we will take these babies as orphans and we will care for them, but we do not want to be involved in the adoption. The adoptions cost anywhere from ten dollars to $20,000, and our fear was if, if the Chinese government saw that much money flowing through our hands, they would question our motives. So we said, we'll care for the babies. You can have the adoption, the responsibility of adopting them out, and you can keep the money. You know what the Chinese government said? Sure. Where, where do we sign? No, first time I heard them speak in English. Where do we sign? I went to Quinming to see our babies. There were 83 of them. 80 of them were girls. Uh, the three boys that were there all had a handicap, club palate, club foot. And the reason there were so many girls is the Chinese government was enforcing the one child per family rule. Uh, Chinese love their daughters. But if you can only have one child, the lineage of your name is passed on with your son, not with your daughter. So as painful as it was, they would give up their daughters. But because of the culture, they seldom ever came to the door and said, this is my daughter. They would lay the, the baby wrapped in a blanket, maybe a name tag, maybe a few coins, and they would say, this is my daughter, please take care of her. And they would leave her on the doorstep or near the doorstep. When the missionary came in in the morning, she would pick up the baby, take the baby in and care for it. But some Chinese families couldn't do that. Instead, one particular family wrapped up their daughter and they put her about three meters from the door and laid her on the ground. Early in the morning, our missionary came to work early and she heard a dog just growling and she heard a baby wailing. She started to run. And sure enough, this dog had already ripped the baby's cheek, part of her nose and part of her upper lip away. They scared the dog away, and they rushed the baby to the hospital, and the doctors put in sutures, but they didn't do it well. She would be scarred for the rest of her life. We named her Rose, and she won my heart. <laughs> she was just unbelievable. We watched her grow over time, and it was amazing. She had the most unique personality. She gave all of the appearances by the way she acted that she was the most beautiful lady in all of China. But when you looked at her, you saw her right side of her face was scarred terribly. We hired Chinese workers. They were all Pentecostal workers, by the way. They would hold two babies in each arm and rock in the chair and pray in the spirit that God would connect these children with the right people around the world. And then news came to us. The Chinese government contacted the orphanage and said, next Saturday, the newly adopted parents of Rose is coming to pick her up. And we all panicked. Because we knew there's no way the Chinese government shared any information or any pictures concerning Rose. And these people have traveled from the United States, maybe t spending ten dollars to $20,000, expecting to receive a cute little Asian girl but this cute little Asian girl was scarred horrifically. We prayed. <laughs> the closer we got to Saturday, the more we prayed. And then I'll never forget, the American missionary met with the Chinese workers and said, Rose's adopted parents are coming today. Do not bring her into the room until I've had a chance to talk to them. In essence, I'll talk them off the ledge and prepare their hearts and everything will be okay. So... The parents came in, and we don't have any idea who they are. They introduced themselves and were seated, and they know nothing about us. 
They were only talking a few minutes, the missionary said, when the door flew open and there stood Rose. And both the husband and the wife looked up and stared at her. The, the missionary tried to speak, but the lady said, shh. And then they just stared at Rose. And the missionary was panicking and tried to speak again and again. The lady just went, shh. And this time she closed her eyes. And then she said this, ma'am, speaking to the missionary, you don't know us, but we are from Seattle, Washington. We are Christians and belong to a church called the Assemblies of God. And my husband is the leading plastic surgeon in Seattle, Washington. And she said, you don't know it, but he did. That child was destined to be with us. God took the wrist of a communist leader who reached into the bag and pulled out the name of Rose. And then the Holy Ghost took the wrist of a communist leader who reached into the filing cabinet and pulled out the parents-to-be. And he didn't know it, but he did, that God was more interested in the one than anyone could imagine, and he put them together. That's how God sees the value of one. About seven years later, they sent us a picture of Rose, and my wife looked at it. We literally couldn't believe it. She was so beautiful, so gorgeous. In fact, my wife asked if I could go out to Seattle and have some work done on me. <laughs> let, let me tell you, as far as I know, and I'm not trying to say, speak hyperbole here, I, I don't think I'm afraid of a lot of things. I'm not afraid of being broke. I don't welcome it. But I don't think I'm afraid of it. Because there were periods of my life when I had nothing. I don't think I'm afraid to die. I'm not looking for the easy exit or the on-ramp. But I'm not afraid. But I do have one thing that deeply stirs fear in my life. When I die, I will not have done all that he wanted me to do. And there is no rewind button. I sometimes think, think of this. Out of this life I shall never think things of silver and gold I make. All that I cherish and hoard away after I leave this earth must stay. Though I told for a painting rare to hang on the wall, I must leave it there. I often wonder, what shall they find in the soul that answers the call for me? Shall the great judge learn when my task is through that my spirit has gained some riches too? Or shall at last it be mine to find? All I've worked for, I've left behind. There's only three ways to respond to the Great Commission. Be a zealous goer. Be a zealous sender or be disobedient. Let me close with this story. Pastor Ben reminded me that children will be here in families. In my family, we tried early on. I was not raised in the church. I got saved at 16. 
But during those early months of my life, I was introduced to a missionary God. And I have pursued him to this day. And I've discovered the closer I get to him, the more I feel what he feels. The more things I love that he loves. The more things he begins to break my heart with that break his heart. He is a missionary God. And if I'm going to walk in intimacy with him, I must walk the way he walks. And love the things that he loves. I tried to bring that into our family. My wife was raised in the Assembly of God Church. She was willing to, and she's helped extend that even further. All three of my children would gather around us when we would make a faith promise commitment. I made sure that they understood that this isn't a decision made by Dad that they have to live with. This is a decision made by us that we contribute to. There was an expectation. I told you I traveled 39 weeks away from my family. Again, that was wrong. It wasn't right. I'm not proud of it. Ashamed of it. I had to raise about a million dollars a year to supplement those holistic ministries around Asia. I stopped at an airport and called my wife. She answered the phone. I knew right away something was wrong. And then she said it. You'll never guess what your son has done. Anytime any of our children become my children, they've done something wrong. I said, what has my son Trenton, what has my son Trenton done? She said he moved his bed downstairs in the basement and he sleeps on the floor now. I said, I'm sorry, what? She told me the same thing. I said, why did he do it? And she said, I don't know. She said, you'll be home tomorrow night. I think we can deal with it then. So for the next day, I thought, I know what happened. He saw a late-night commercial about some bed that gives you perfect sleep, and it costs $10,000, and somehow he's making a statement he wants it. So by the time I got home, I was huffing and I was puffing. I couldn't wait for dinner. Sat down to dinner, not a word about it. That bothered me. I went to bed that night. I saw, as I walked by his room, he was sleeping on the floor with a pillow and a blanket over him. That bothered me. So the next morning at breakfast, I decided I had to con- confront him. I said, Trent, I said, I noticed that your bed's out in your room. Yep. Mom said you moved it. Not- yep. Why? He goes, it's personal. I said, oh, no, no, no. I said, that's my room. You're my son. That's my bed. That's my blanket. That's my pillow. It ain't personal. I want to know, why did you do it? And he got real quiet. And he said, now he's 17 at this age. He said, I'm afraid. I said, what are you afraid of? I'm afraid I'm going to forget. (laughs) There are people who've never heard the gospel. Who sleep without the comfort of beds. And this helps me to pray every night. So for one year, 365 days, 12 months, he slept on the floor, praying, and you could hear him pray some nights for Tibetans in Lhasa, China. A few years later, he applied to missions, and they said, we would feel really good if you would pray about working with Tibetans in China. 
What am I saying? That my wife and I were able, with the Holy Spirit's help, to create a culture within our family that understood the importance of the Great Commission. And then it acted out in the lives of our children. This isn't a duty or responsibility, it's a privilege. And more importantly, it's a way to invest and think of all of the things you invest in your children, the number one electronics, the number one games, to make sure that they're at the baseball week camp, whatever it is, and that's fine. I don't have any objections to that. But this will be the most important investment you will ever make. So here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like to get out your faith promise card, if you will. I know what your question is, so I'll ask it and answer it. How much should I put on there, Pastor Bob? My answer is, I don't know. But I know this. If you give less than you gave last year, then you're asking Pastor Ben to pull some of the names of the hundred-some missionaries that you support down from the wall. And if you simply say, I'll give what I gave last year, that was good. Then we'll keep up all of the names, but we'll also say, we can't send the light to any of the countries that are yet dark. And that's not good. So stand with me, will you, as the musicians come up here? Be a zealous goer. Be a zealous sender or be disobedient. I want you to hold your faith promise card in your hand. This is between you and God. The leadership of this church is, will not contact you, will not ask you where your support is. This is a faith commitment between you and God. I hope your children, if they're here, are next to you. If they are, I need you to sit down and just whisper in their ear, this is something that we're going to do as a family. And you're going to begin to plant those seeds into the hearts of your children. What God can do, with people who choose to follow him on the pathway of obedience, and pursue a missionary God will amaze you. Let him amaze you. Don't have any regrets when you cross over. Hallelujah. I want you with your families just to fill this out. Pastor Ben has given permission when they're filled out, bring your whole family down turn it upside down so no one can see it and lay it on this altar because this faith promise is given to God. And Holy Spirit, I sense your presence in this room. I sense that, that you're endeavoring to begin to break up our heart with the things that break your heart, God. That you're giving us a new love for the nations, the tribes, and the people, and the tongues of the world. Help the families here create a culture in which missions becomes the heartbeat 
because they're pursuing a missionary God. I love you. As they sing this, bring your family down and just lay it at the altar and just stand there for a moment and let's worship the Lord together, okay? Praise the name of the Lord. This is the most fun I get to have in church. Asking you to partner with us in faith promise giving. And I just want to speak to those that are online. We have sent resources home uh, that you can be prepared to uh, give a faith promise as well. And you can send that to us. And what we do is we gather these up in the missions board. We'll take a look at these and then we make decisions on that moving forward. And it's the most fun we get to do. The most enjoyable thing you'll ever do with money is give it away. That's a fact. I've lived that my teenage years was the first time I gave a faith promise when I met Jessica on a missions trip and then we got married we've given faith promise uh, every year of our adult married lives and the Lord has allowed us to just increase that and it's our privilege to do so and what's neat, and I want to talk to the families here, and I know Pastor Rachel, when we talked about doing a service where the kids stay in for faith promise time, and I just love hearing Pastor Bob. How many could listen to him all day long? Absolutely, man, what a blessing, seriously. But what's happened with your kids, with Trent, I know Trent, and I'm listening to that story, just tears going down my, my eyes. That's similar stories have happened in my family. And today, my wife will be serving second service in nursery. Reagan's leading us in worship. Logan's on the drums. And it has affected our family. My daughter will be serving. Logan has a heart for missions. He outgives every student in our student ministry. I'm sure of it. It's been our priority to outgive. We may not give the most, but percentage-wise, I dare you to give more. And I, I say that with all humility. The Lord has been so good. You cannot outgive God. And so if you're ready this morning, and many of you have already given uh, your faith promises, we want to say thank you. If you need to take time to talk with your family and come back, we certainly can do that. You can give a faith promise over the next few weeks as well, and then we'll be reporting back to say how we did. But it is an absolute joy to be able to do so. And we care. And, uh, and you say, well, man, we're just, I'm new at the Gateway Church. If you're new here, uh, welcome to the team. And it's part of our DNA that if you call the Gateway Church your home, uh, above and beyond your tithe, we give in faith promise giving. You ready to pray and hit the streets and get to work? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, I just thank you for this morning. 
I thank you for moments like this in the life of our church where we can be challenged not only to go, but to be senders as well. And God, I pray that you would be speaking to our hearts as families, as individuals, to do what you've put on our hearts to do. And God, I believe that there is not a shortage of money. We are not running out of money. We are running out of time. And the statistics, those numbers that Pastor Bob uh, was challenging us with, Lord, I pray that that would grip us to the point where we say, Lord, we will sacrifice again. We will give. And Lord, I pray as we even fast and pray for souls in our own lives, people that we rub shoulders with over the next few weeks in believing that before the end of the year that there will be a harvest. I pray that it will be both and, Lord, that we would go, we'll leave this room as missionaries, and we will also be senders. Lord, we thank you for this. And God, we give you the praise, we give you all the glory, and I pray right now that you would go before us, behind us, and all around us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We love you. God bless you. Go in the grace of God. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you here next week. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.